0: Thank you for tuning in. We had a great and one-of-a-kind discussion today with my friend, David Bowman, Senior Vice President at Neil Schaefer. David and his team were on the ground serving and working in the immediate aftermath of Hurricane Katrina and provides us with a first-person account of what it took and what it felt like to begin the cleanup and restoration efforts. David talks about the power of local relationships, how the firm rallied around the cleanup effort, and the wonder of seeing a return to normalcy. This is one of a couple of episodes we have planned where we dive into what it's like to find fulfillment leveraging our skills and talents in ways that directly impact the lives of others outside of our normal day-to-day work lives. And in this case, it all started with the question, what can we do to help? So without any further delay, let's do it.
1: The host of AEC Leadership Today is Pete Atherton, a professional engineer and former AEC principal and owner turned AEC coach and consultant. And now take a break from your never-ending to-do list and welcome Peter Atherton.
0: Hello, everyone, and welcome to another great episode of AEC Leadership Today. Today, we'll be speaking with David Bowman, a senior vice president at Neil Schaefer, and we'll be talking about how David and his colleagues helped set a standard for disaster relief engineering in the aftermath of Hurricane Katrina, a storm that literally hit the homes of employees, clients, and thousands of their neighbors in Mississippi. Welcome to the podcast, David.
2: Thank you, Peter. Looking forward to it.
0: Great. Well, before we begin, can you share a little bit about you, your career to date, and Neil Schaefer? Sure. Um,
2: I, uh, I began. Neil Schaefer is a multidiscipline um, consulting engineering firm that its uh, corporate headquarters is in Jackson, Mississippi. Um, we began in 1983 in Mississippi, and now we're in some nine to ten states and have over 500 employees and uh, working throughout the South. Uh, I began working with Neil Schaefer in 1992 um, here in Jackson. Uh, uh, Primarily, did uh, uh, I guess I was in the environmental section. Uh, We were doing stormwater permits and solid waste and um, water, sewer distribution. uh, Those water distribution, sewer collection. Uh, In 1995, I I moved up to um, Columbus, Mississippi. And doing basically, we did some water plant renovations and a new water plant and some other utility type things. Um, But that's, and then in 2001, I moved back to our corporate office and uh, kind of my role at that time was um, primarily to um, help our, uh, develop our offices throughout Mississippi. We have about 15 offices or 18 offices throughout Mississippi and And Jackson was where I could see my wife on a constant basis as I drove back and forth from the north part of the state down to the Mississippi Gulf Coast. And so we were um, um, starting offices in uh, Biloxi and South Haven and uh, Laurel and Hattiesburg and a few other places. So uh, that's kind of um, what I've been doing and still pretty much doing the same thing uh, uh, here, still living in Jackson and kind of moving from Memphis down to the Gulf Coast and Mobile now. So That's what I'm up to.
0: Well, I want to talk about your response and get into your response and your firm's response in the the days and the months after the devastation of Hurricane Katrina. But before we do that, I I just want to set the stage to refresh our memories, um, because it's just so much, you know, we forget as time goes on. And so just so that, you know, everyone listening is refreshed. I mean, you know, Hurricane Katrina, it hit... In 2005, uh, first across the Florida Peninsula and then across the Gulf of Mexico towards Louisiana and Mississippi, you know, where it hit landfall just east of New Orleans. Um, And I just suspect that most of us around uh, then and watching the news and the coverage have the images in our mind of of all the devastation and the flood flooding, especially in and around New Orleans, um, and today Hurricane Katrina remains the most costly hurricane in U.S. history, um, and that's after you know so many years since where we've had. I think from my research, you know, before we we um, had this before the podcast here is you know we've had 20 very large and devastating hurricanes and superstorms since. Hurricane Katrina, you know, most recently Hurricanes Harvey, Irma, and Maria a couple of years ago, and this year, Hurricane Dorian in the Bahamas. So, um, and so, you know, here we are. So, and although, you know, the Katrina hit near near New Orleans, its, its strongest winds in the so-called front right, the front right quadrant hit the Mississippi coast near Gulfport and Biloxi, and that created devastation, and loss of life. And then, you know, once the storm hit, it traveled right up the length of Mississippi towards Tennessee. So, that's sort of the background of how big this storm was. But um, as the storm was approaching, David, I mean, you're from Mississippi, lived in Mississippi in 2005. What was it like as the storm was approaching back in 2005?
2: Well, it was interesting. There had been several hurricanes, um, prior to Katrina in, in 2005. One was Hurricane Dennis, and they actually had an evacuation order in, in July. Uh, what's kind of interesting, the Municipality um, League, or the Mississippi Municipal League, has a um, meeting every summer down in Biloxi, and um, Dennis uh, was coming through when uh, they were planning to have the, um, the conference, and they postponed it to, to August. And they eventually had to cancel it, obviously, because it was the same weekend that Katrina was coming through. So that was kind of an interesting phenomenon, I guess. But what was a little bit interesting about that was that in Mississippi, most of our elected officials um, took office on July 1 of 2005. So a good many of our um, elected officials had just really been um, in office less than a couple of months. And that's that kind of comes back to you know what was going on um and you know just you know so we were prepared i mean you know obviously people lived through camille which was back in 1969 and and um you know so it, it wasn't like a hurricane was something unusual i mean we had actually only taken a group um over earlier in the year we had taken a group over to um Uh, the Pensacola area and the um, Gulf Shores, Alabama area where Hurricane Ivan had come through the year before to just um, mainly to see how communities were dealing with um, disasters and, you know, were they changing their zoning? Did they have, you know, just, just a little bit, just, it was just a field trip with, um, um, I think we had four or five different cities um, throughout the uh, Mississippi Gulf coast. So, you know, um, we were, I guess the feeling was how bad will this be? You know, and that's, that's, you know, no one ever knows to the storm, Every storm has its own separate identity. It's certainly not like a, you know, something that you can, you know, it's nature. You have no idea what it's going to be.
0: So, right. So one, a one, little
2: bit of anticipation.
0: So once, once the storm hit and you started hearing about the news either, you know, seeing or hearing about the devastation, um, and knowing that you had not only clients, but em- employees personally impacted by this devastation. Um, I mean, h- h- how did your feelings change then? Or, or, you know, what did you feel? Well,
2: you know, what we got was something a lot worse than we thought we were going to get. Um, you know, you, this, um, the way the, the storm width was just over 100 miles wide. Uh, when you talk about that quadrant, I mean Burlington, Mississippi is pretty much where the eye went, and it's on the floor, I mean, excuse me, it's on the Louisiana-Mississippi line. This hurricane actually caused harm to Gulf shores and Dolphin Island, Alabama, which is some 140 miles down the coastline. So that's kind of the width of the diameter of the storm. Uh, or the radius of the storm so it was just it was just massive and then once it got on land it 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 didn't stop i mean even in jackson mississippi we had winds of 80 to 90 miles per hour so you know trees were down about two-thirds of the entire state was without power um you know here in downtown jackson we were without power we had to we had to go to one of our little offices in Madison, um, Mississippi, which is a suburb of here. Um, it had power and it was a it was actually a little house. So it was just kind of weird that it even had power. Um, and so, you know, you you know, it, as I made reference, um, you know, I guess my reference comment was um, AJ Holloway is, is the mayor of Biloxi, and he makes a comment that uh, this is his tsunami in reference to the devastation, disaster that was in Indonesia and Japan. You know, previously that year, and I mean he he's, he's shown in the newspaper, um, or and you know again this is at the time when you had newspapers and you know you actually saw that it's you know it was just he was just standing in a pile of debris, or rubble, and and you know you kind of understand what he was talking about, and you know so it was just. There
0: were just a lot of different things going on, and you said, I mean, in our conversations in the past, five miles in from the coast was almost complete devastation.
2: Yeah, the the, the kind of the line was the the CXX railroad, um, and it it was mainly just elevated. It's elevated about three or four feet on either side, maybe a little higher than that, six or seven feet, and. And so everything south of that railroad track, it runs east and west, about five miles from the coastline. Everything south of that was just devastated from Burlington all the way over, you know, pretty much through Biloxi. Um, so you just, you know, we're talking 60 miles, you know, um, just the swat of the damage that the storm caused was just, you know, just kind of hard to understand. And, um, and then the other thing was the flooding, um, the the storm surge, in, in the flooding that occurred. It, it, basically, you had bayous and various different rivers and everything, some twenty to thirty miles inland, that got out of its banks and and um, you know flooded homes. Um, you know, pretty much thirty to forty miles inland in those situations.
0: So all this is going on, the hurricane comes through on a Monday. A few days later, you're working with a client um, in Biloxi, I believe, and in a few more days, you're doing actual boots on the ground work to plan for and start disaster recovery. What is that like? So Monday happens, it's the storm, you start hearing about this stuff. I mean, what, what went into a few days later, you find yourself down on the Gulf Coast, you and your team. And then a few days after that, you're hiring people and starting the process to clean up and rebuild. Can you, can you just share kind of that week, what happened? Well, it,
2: you know, now looking back on it, it was you know, sleep really probably never really happened. Um, you know, it, and when it did, it was, you know, pretty quick. Um, you know, there, there's just a lot of emotions that were going on. You know, the first thing we wanted to do is make sure all our employees were okay. And um, that took a couple of days. And and um, then immediately, you know, we we started, you know, we have all these offices to be an arm of our clients. And these these clients, you know, we just were, you know, our managers and different people, they were just responding the way you would want them to. They, they showed up at the public works office and said, hey, what can I do? Um, and then Biloxi, um, which is where we, we had a local office, but um, one of our engineers named Jonathan Kaiser was actually located in Pensacola. He had driven over with a, a chainsaw. Um, I don't know how he got there, but he got there and um, help the city engineer get a tree off its house and he was just he was just there and he said, you know what can I do to help and um, you know so we're we you know this is we we did have cell phones and they were about they were getting ramped up and they were starting so Jonathan's communicating with me and he says, hey I just need you down here the mayor of Biloxi is ready to you know start a debris removal project and he wants us to, help him manage it and we were a little lucky and fortunate in the fact that the Mayor Biloxi had been involved with the cleanup of Hurricane Camille and so he kind of understood the process and then I kind of understood the process because of a um, straight line wind program we were involved in back in 2000 in Columbus Mississippi when I lived there so I knew the FEMA process so um you know I drive down with our Um, Chief financial officer, we drive down on Saturday, you know, basically to get a contract signed. So we've got copies of contracts and this type of thing. I mean, keep in mind, most people still don't have power, you know. Um, And the further south you get, we don't. We were fairly uh, fortunate to, our office happens to be next door to the hospital. So we're on their feeds. Our little office in Biloxi had power. So that, and then we found out we had a couple of employees actually living there because we had power. Um, but anyway, we were, we were able to sit down with the mayor and, and the mayor wanted um, this, he wanted to keep this money in his community. So he wanted us to be the monitor and uh, we went through a process and there was a large contractor that was local and he was, he was able to, to be part of the bid, uh, you know, to help clean up Biloxi. But we literally met with these contractors on Saturday afternoon. And um, he he was real smart. The the mayor had the three contractors there. He said, look, I think I'm going to need all of you. So I know he actually had a piece of cardboard and he popped up the the lowest unit price per yard. He said, do you all mind working for this price? And the FEMA guy sitting there, he said, I guess that's (laughs) legal. And so, of course, the three contractors said that you know, they would work for that price. Of course, the guy that had submitted, that was kind of upset. But, you know, um, but anyway, then it became this thing well, how many trucks are you going to have Monday to start working? And, and to make a long story short, we had to, they were gonna have a hundred trucks. And, and so Saturday evening we're back at our little office, like we've got to hire a hundred people by Monday morning.
0: So, so, so the three contractors got together and said between the three of us, we have a hundred trucks ready to roll on monday
2: right
0: um and then so and what are the logistics so you you had to start hiring people but then you have to legitimize them so what what was that like again no power very little power and so okay so saturday afternoon you have three contractors a bid that works work has to start on monday And uh, Uh, what happens then uh, and my
2: cfo says He's got to get back to to Jackson, and so he leaves me there without a vehicle. <laughs> so, but uh, and, and so, you know, I, I'm sitting there with our group. I said, uh, "Are y'all going to, you know, church tomorrow?" And they said, "Well, yeah. I mean, most of our churches are now in parking lots and things like that." And I said, "Well." just go and make an announcement see if you can get somebody to make an announcement and tell them that we we're hiring people to go to work Monday morning and uh and I I called a guy in our Jackson I said go by the, the office and see how many drug tests you can you know find in the office and and uh you know come down and 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 I got with our office lady I said well let's open up at one o'clock Sunday and and just see who comes through the door, you know, and we'll, and, and so we were all calling people we knew and, and this type thing, but you know, we, we, we were calling our own employees and you know, we, we, we had about 20 or 30 people. So we had a few, you know, we had our managers and various different folks. The other thing we had to do was Sunday afternoon, they were going to bring those hundred trucks by to get measured. So we had to have a group measuring trucks and this type of thing. And, and, um, so we had a place set up for that and, um, and lo and behold, um, Sunday afternoon about one o'clock, we were at the office and we look outside and we've got a, a literally a line of people wrapped around our office wanting to come to work. Um, uh, and, uh, and what was another thing that was a little unusual is that we were in this no travel area. You know, so there was literally national guard, you know, or, Army Reserve type people protecting this area. And, and, uh, but none of them had trouble getting through. <laughs> they all said that they were, you know, coming to work on it up and they let them through. And, and, uh, we had, I guess we had taught, somebody had talked to them. But so we were able to, I mean, literally, we, we converted our office into kind of a hiring room. You went in, we, we made sure you had a driver's license, we made sure you could pass a drug test. We sent you through a little training video and, and we kind of had a little interview to make sure that, you know, you had your own car, you could, you know, and and someone had driven down with all the ticket books that we needed, the print shop in, in Jackson made us some ticket books overnight. And uh, we So had people a, would
0: have IDs and be able oh, to right. be yeah. legitimate. That, that's right. And, and we
2: had a couple of people that, you know, had lost all that in the storm,
0: you know. So, you know, we kind
2: of had to somehow or another verify who they were, and, you know, get social security numbers and, um, but you know, and what we found out is that you know, you know, there were um, you know cocktail waitresses uh, that worked at the casinos. Well, the casinos had washed up; they were actually floating casinos at the time, and they had all washed up, and so they didn't have jobs. And so we we found that people, uh, you know, there was a, a group of um, security guards at um, the Jackson County school system. Um, well, they didn't have jobs because the schools are all closed. So there was there was just a lot of people that basically worked by the hour that didn't have a job. And so this really was, you know, worked out well. I mean, they, they had permanent jobs they were going to go back to eventually. But during this time, they didn't have anything. So um, we were able to, to do it. And, and, you know, did it work perfectly? Did we, did we not have any problems or whatever? No, we had our... Our issues, but just being able to look those contractors uh, on Monday morning and said, you know, we're ready to go. You know, where are your trucks, and you know, where are we going, and, and this type of thing. It, it's uh, you know, it was it was pretty remarkable. And living through it, I didn't, you know, it was just it was just happening. And but you know, talking to you about it, it's it was it was kind of surreal, really, to think about it.
0: Right. So but so you're there a few days and all of a sudden there's 100 trucks ready to roll with people who you've hired on the spot from church parking lots and passing the word around neighborhoods that, you know, hey, we need people, people who who care about the community and, and people who need jobs. And so Monday morning trucks start to roll. Where are they going? What are they doing and where are they putting the stuff?
2: Well, you know, it was kind of interesting. All that became uh, something we were having to work through. Uh, you know, there were uh, some rubbish, permitted rubbish facilities available. So those first two or three days, that's where they were they were going. Um, but we quickly realized that, you know, we were going to fill these places up and there wasn't enough space and we wasn't making really great progress, if you want to know the truth, uh, because, uh, you know, you know, the travel to the, the permanent dumps and this type of thing, and and so we were uh, what one thing that was good that was going on. We had daily meetings, um, you know, with local and state and federal officials, and so we were able to. And of course, we knew these people. I mean, these are the people we went to college with. These are the people we worked with on a daily basis at the Mississippi Department of Environmental Quality. Um, you know, so you know, we had their cell numbers. We, you know, that type of thing. We were able to have conversations with them. And uh, so we were able to use, one of our guys came up with gr- this uh, good idea. It's just, why we, um, they were building a, a highway, highway 67 and they, they, it was a dirt work and, and bridge and drain project. And so there's no asphalt. Um, uh, and so they had built this overpass, um, uh, bridge over the, the highway and, and it was a, a, a loop, you know, back on loop around. And so we started using, we asked DEQ could we do a burn pit there um, because we had basically, you know, 270 degrees or so, you know, covered. And so we were, they let us use that as a, a burn pit. And so they would literally, the trucks would come and we'd measure them and then they would dump down into this burn pit. And so that was, that was one neat thing. And then we came up with a temporary permit, um, you know, for added, you know, uh, disposal areas, you know, mm-hmm. and, and we did a quick, you know, quick permitting procedure where we had to, you know, they gave us proof of proof that they owned the property, that they didn't have any wetlands and, you know, that the runoff would be controlled and this type of thing. And so, um, you know, we were able to come up with several other sites, but, it was
0: just a lot of communication, a lot of
2: activity to get all that coordinated.
0: And a lot of local knowledge of, you know, we have these older or abandoned or, you know, recently closed landfills. Let's re-permit and reopen those. Okay. Let's talk to the environmental folks. Let's get this done. And we have this burn pit. So anything that can be burned can go there. Anything that can't be burned can go to these, you know, landfill sites. Um, and it, so is it a lot of local knowledge and responsiveness and, and problem solving like on the spot because trucks are moving. We need to get these, you know, we have, and at, at the same time, right, there's search and rescue going on. So it's, it, it's, sure. it's clearing yeah. the roads, but there's also that element of there's still devastation. And um, as the work's going on, I mean, there are crews looking for lost life or, or looking for life that might be, you know, stuck.
2: And and yeah, and you also had families that were coming back to see the devastation for the first time, and seeing their homes destroyed or seeing their homes flooded, and you know there was just a lot of different things like that going on, and um, you know, and then um, you know we got the special waste issues that that were, you know, you had um, all the homes that were still standing there were some thirty thousand homes in the three county area that were still standing, well, every one of them along with the other homes that were totally destroyed, they had their, you know, their refrigerators. Um, You know, when you get your refrigerator flooded and and it's still standing, that you don't open, it's the number one thing you don't do, and the number two thing you do is you roll it to the curb. So we literally had 30,000 refrigerators sitting on the curb. Um, How do you get rid of those? Um, So we were able to come up with a real, um, we found a, a, a guy a recycling guy uh, come to find out he actually was part owner of one of the casinos in town uh, but alter recycling was the name of it and, and um, anyway we put out a bid and he bid um, as long as we could provide him we provided a place with lime and containers that they could dump the food out in the containers with a you know a little bobcat type thing and and then we lined those those containers to keep the smell down and then they crushed the Refrigerators, um, and then we, you know, couldn't find out that there were so many of these white goods that it actually moved the needle of the cost <laughs> of recycling the pounds. But, uh, but I mean that that was just one thing. We had cars and boats and uh, household hazardous waste and uh, you know just you know things you know things you just didn't even imagine. There was um, the big industry down there, is seafood. And uh, we had freezers and freezers of, uh, of seafood that was lost because they had lost power or they, the freezers were destroyed. So how do you get rid of all the seafood? Um, you know, it's so it, it was just you know just as soon as you thought you had your hands, you know, you were able to handle something, something else came up.
0: Right. Because you progress from clearing the public ways um, with all the debris to allow access and, you know, people and, you know, uh, emergency public vehicles. And then the debris was moving on to the prop- private property and communication and coordination with private homeowners and abandoned homes. How did... How did you deal with that? Cause that's sort of the next phase. So you're still having weekly meetings with the, you know, the, the prime players, but now you're integrating and um, working a little bit more with the private homeowners. How, how was that process?
2: Well um, you had to get right of entry from those private you know, homeowners to allow them to own your home. First we had to get FEMA approval to allow us. And then we had to, you know, that and we did a little inspection to make sure FEMA, you know, did it met their guidelines. But, you know, uh, you know, that was probably, um, and, they, and they had all its own issues. Uh, you know, first was just going on the private property to get, you know, trees that had fallen on people's homes and some of those type things. Um, and you had to make sure it didn't have insurance. And, but in a lot of situations, um, you know, they didn't. Um, and so we were able to, to really, um, again, because of all these people we had, they lived in the communities that were affected, or themselves were affected. They were able to tell their neighbors, you know, hey, if you want some help, this is how you get it. And um, so that really was was part of that, um, you know. But but then it then it moved on. Okay, you have this abandoned house that's been destroyed or moved or whatever. How do you get rid of it? Um, and you know, the Corps of Engineers was also working down there. And, you know, you know, they were trying to get consultants to come in and do asbestos test and all this type of thing and historic type preservation issues and everything. And, you know, we were just getting with our DEQ and said, hey, if we, what if we adopt this policy or where everybody goes through a training program and, you know, there's constant water on site to keep the dust down, you know, can we just go in and take these houses down and load them up and haul them away and, you know, they were like, you know, that makes a lot of common sense. So sure. And so, you know, we at night we would have these training programs. Um, and then, you know, and, and then the Corps was over there, what are you doing? I mean you didn't go through through tests and all this and and uh we, you know we were we were just we were trying to come up with solutions to move it as fast as possible. And uh, it really it really worked out well and we kinda set the standards for that.
0: Right. Well and, and you, you set the standards in that what was done in this, you know, sort of the first county you were working, and it ended up setting the standard for the other counties, and eventually, you know, you moved in to to lead some of the recovery efforts or, or the, um, the the debris removal efforts in those counties too, right? It, it, that's right. It, it,
2: we started out with Biloxi, and we ended up with Jackson County and Hancock County. Biloxi's in Harrison County,
1: um,
2: so at one point we we had over three hundred monitors and working in all three counties
0: and and part like and it was the mayor's philosophy and, and and maybe it's a philosophy overall with disaster relief recovery is the, the quicker you can remove the damage, the, the quicker you can rebuild, but also the community can heal and and that was a that was a motivation too, in serving the client's interest in we need to get not only to start the rebuild but to really um, get the community to start healing again we 're motivated to, to really serve here uh, and clean up this mess uh, how, and, and is that part of the the motivation and the problem solving with okay this this can be a little bit of a hurdle. How do we get through this testing effectively train our people, and be able to move to debris to get the community to move forward it, was that was that part of it sure uh, you know the last thing we wanted to do was to, to be the
2: the guys that said, no, you can't do this. You know, uh, when a problem would arise, you know, we were immediately trying to figure out ways to resolve it, and and, and you're right, I mean, a lot of it had to do with our relationships with uh, not only the, the local officials, but the state, and and we got to know the federal, the guys with FEMA, just like we had, you know, um, and, and it wasn't, it you know, but it was just, they were here doing a job and they wanted to do a good job too. They didn't want to be no people either. I mean, they wanted, they were, they were bought into let's, let's, what can we do to move this forward? And, uh, but you're exactly right. I mean, uh, I'll, I'll never forget. I had three or four guys. We had gone up to North Mississippi. Um, these were just, you know, some of our employees just for a weekend, a long weekend. This was like in November or something. And, and uh, we were doing something. I said, "Man, y'all just look like y'all are miserable." And they said, "No, we're as happy as we ever been. We've been we've spent three hours and hadn't seen devastation, you know." So, <laughs> you know, everyone really wanted to move on and quit looking at this. And uh, so that's. Um, I mean, I just think that was that was kind of a big motivation behind that.
0: And there was a lot of work going on within. Neil Schaefer to support the core team that was down there. So, and how many, how many people in your firm was sort of this core team that were working with local state and national officials to sort of pull off this, you know, disaster relief debris removal? You know, we, we, we probably, you know, the core
2: team, you know, probably started out with about five to 10 people and then it kind of grew to about 30. Um, But, you know, but yeah, you're exactly right. I mean, um, you know, about once every week or so, or maybe maybe 10 days or so, um, you know, someone from Jackson may come down with a, uh, a cooler full of uh, steaks that have been balled, and, you know, we're out there in makeshift grills, grilling steaks, and, you know, just feeding people for the evening, you know, just, because you know, it was, it was hard to find a meal. I mean, just, you know, nobody, everybody was living in some sort of trailer, or, you know some sort of hodgepodge type of, of living arrangement so um, you know keeping the morale and telling people they were doing good i mean it was um, you know really good and then the other thing that was kind of unique is that we would have people working in our other offices that um, would just give like a, a long weekend to come down and work you know they may come down on a thursday and then leave on a tuesday um, and just to give some of those core people the weekend off um, and that was really you know, I think those folks really felt like they were part of something and, uh, you know, just it kind of built, you know, built around that a little bit. Right,
0: And, and that must be just a good feeling. I mean, to, to, to know that, you know, as an employee, I mean, your firm is, is making a big impact, obviously. And, you know, I can personally step in and help out and, you know, or you hear of the firm kind of pulling together and, and doing that, knowing that people are sacrificing, you know to to be down there and um so i'll I'll let you comment on that sort of the atmosphere and the mood within the company
2: yeah you're exactly right i mean our our philosophy as a company mr neal always said was to be part of the community we live and work in and so
1: you know very rarely
2: are we really able to do that um you know we say that and we want to be a part of that and uh, you know here was here was we were able to use our expertise our ability to get things done and really make a difference in the community. And so it was a very, very worthwhile situation. And so even that person that's relieving somebody from the weekend to, you know, the person that woke up and, you know, worked it every day for twelve to fourteen hours, you know, everyone, you know, wanted to be a part of something. And and everybody kinda wanted to, you know, step in. And that meant you know, hey, I've got this other project that, you know, I probably need to have somebody work, you know, we need to be meeting those deadlines too. Or, you know, there were other people, you know, like from Birmingham, they took on, you know, some of our engineering projects because, you know, they knew that we didn't have the staff, you know, the staff there in Biloxi was, was working on debris removal, that type thing. So, you know, it kind of made everybody, you know, uh, it, it expanded more than just the people that were affected, for sure.
0: All right. And, and those, I mean, you and your team down there, and I know you personally, you know, so you lived months in a FEMA trailer and, you know, I don't know how many times you said well, half a dozen times or more, like had, you had to fix your tire in your truck because driving around was, wasn't, it you know, wasn't a smooth road. So, I mean, there was sort of the, the, the personal you know um, serving and, and the sacrificing others of you and your team i mean how 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 did you get through the 12 14 hour days and oh no i gotta fl- fix my car again you know and then sleep in the cot i mean how, well, how how was what was that like going through it too yeah uh, you know
2: i i think the, the the real key to all of this was that we i mean this kind of sounds kind of corny but we did have each other a little bit you know um, you know it really was not a I mean, there were people that were going home to their families, but there were still a small group of us that, you know, really, you know, family was somewhere else. You know, they were in Pensacola, they were in Jackson or somewhere somewhere else. And so, you know, we were eating dinner with each other and breakfast with each other. And, you know, so, you know, when you had a flat tire, you know, you called uh, the other guy, he came by and got you. We had a, you know, we, we figured those things out together. but. um you know, I don't know it sort of sounds kind of corny, but it, it, I, I don't think you could do it if you didn't have that kind of team atmosphere, you know, going around. Um, and so that, I think that had a lot to do with it.
0: Right. And you, and you were productive too, um, you know, as far as the amount of production that your team was, the, the amount of waste you were hauling, how fast, I mean, that compared very favorably to some of the other contractors who, who were there. I mean, they showed up and they, they cared and they were doing the work too. But um, you know, for your team, I mean, you were significantly more effective at removing material.
2: Yeah. And, and that was just because, you know, a little bit of is just the local knowledge of the area um, that had a lot to do with it. Um, but I, you know, we just had no startup t- ramp up time. I mean, we were just able to to go out and and we were fortunate that in mo- m- most situations our contractors were local too. And so, uh, I mean, we, there was a many a situation where, uh, you know, not many, but there were several situations where, like, um, you know, we'd be working say in, in Jackson County and we'd see a crew that. Um, was about finished with the area that they were working in. And, you know, so we would connect them with a the contractor, you know, somewhere else so they could, you know, improve their capabilities.
0: You know, we were just, you know, kind of, uh, because of who we knew,
2: we were able to keep everyone
0: busy. And what, what you looking back now, um, or even that you recall then, I mean, what, what were, if you don't mind sharing, what, what were some of your, you know, mo- like your, your greatest memories are most positively impactful or like your hardest memories of, of, of being there and, and working in that period? Again, the, the, the days, months, and, and um, weeks after the, the hurricane.
2: Well, um, you know, sometimes that actually blurred together, your greatest and your hardest memories. Um, you know, one of the things that was required, if, if you were going to get a FEMA trailer, Uh, for your home you know your home had been destroyed and you're going to get a FEMA trailer for your lot uh, you basically had to have it cleared Um, and so we had one situation where there's a Vietnamese uh, family that couldn't speak or read English and they were living in their car and this is in November so you know they've been there for two or three months and um, you know one of our we did have some Vietnamese speaking people in our part of our team because we knew that was the issue. And so we sent one of them over there to get the right of entry signed and to, you know, this type of thing and get them signed up for a FEMA trailer. And we were able to get the debris removed and get them a FEMA trailer, you know, installed all within about a day. And, you know, and just seeing them, you know, when the FEMA trailer rolled up and getting it hooked up and just, you know, knowing that they were not going to have to spend another night in their car. And, you know, you know, that that was pretty moving, you know, hey, we, you know, today we made a difference, you know, and, and so that, that made a lot of, a lot of things. And then, you know, the, you know, just the people that we employed, I mean, you know, as the, as we wound up, you have to, you know, go from a large number of people, you know, you know, you cut it down, and eventually to zero. You know, and so as the project was winding up, we were laying off, you know, 20 people a day or whatever, and and or 20 people a week, and and so we were, um, you know, I just had a list of names that you know I would stand in the morning, we would meet to tell everybody where they were going, and I mean it sounded terrible, but uh, you know we would read these list of names. We need these people to stay around afterwards. Well. I mean, they all knew what was going to happen. I mean, they were the ones, you know, being laid off. And and um, I remember this. And so, of course, you can imagine some of the emotions that go in with that. But I remember this guy coming up to me, and I'm like, and he only has one hand. And I'm going, oh, my gosh, why did we lay him off, you know? Uh, and so I uh, come to find out he, he comes and gives me a hug. And he says, I just want you to know I have not worked since my hand was um, I lost my hand in the war and he had been in Vietnam and uh, and so and he said this is the greatest six weeks from, I've had since that incident and you know I said well I feel terrible about laying y'all he said no I understand I you know uh, I understand what's going on you know that you have to do what you got to do but he was just anyway it was just kind of surreal to see how we could help people and you know and just some of the even the joy of the people working for us was was very unique
0: how did how do you think that boosted your career um or you know m- made you think about the work that you did to be able to have that sort of the face-to-face um direct community touch to to really serve i mean as engineers we serve community I mean, we live we, we build the, the environment that we live in, but, you know, it's a little different in this setting. I mean, how, how do you think that affected your your career and, and how you think of your, your job and your firm?
2: Yeah. When I was uh, obviously when I was living through it,
0: I probably never had this thought uh,
2: there were there any thought about the question you just asked me, but of course, as time has gone on, you know, we're now some 14 years later um, it, it, it's, it's really no way you could ever uh, replace what you were doing because you were literally coming in every day and making, you know, making a difference. You could see what you were doing. You could, you know, you were doing something and,
1: you know, very rarely do you ever have
2: that opportunity uh, in your career. I mean, I mean, gosh, now we, you know, we get hired to do a, a wastewater plant or whatever and it, and it may take you, you know, six to eight months just to get your contract signed, and and here we were getting contracts signed in the morning, you know, getting selected in the morning, contract signed in the afternoon, and going to work the next day. So, you know, but but just being able to be part of a, you know, of the, the, you know, when the city, like a, a restaurant would open, or people would be back in, and look, like you talked about earlier about the normalcy of life. I mean, you just really felt, you know, you just I can't describe what that feeling was like. But you were really felt like you were a part of making all that happen. And, um, and when you can do that, it it's certainly meets why you became and why, why you're doing what you're doing.
0: Right, and and you know, there's so many. Again, I, I as as engineers and architects, I mean, we we do so much. To serve others, and and that's I mean, good people go into this industry, and good people have super successful careers, and have a lot to be proud of. But I meet constantly um, engineers who and architects who want to have this direct. Personal impact with real need, and, and you know whether it be serving in their local communities, you know as far as like an outreach program to really make a difference outside of their day to day skill set, or leveraging their day to day skill set in in a different way, um, or whether it be you know working with some of the great you know nonprofits that are out there like Bridges to Prosperity and Engineers Without Borders and Water for People, and just be have that experience to leverage their skills in, in a way that they know. Children don't have clean water today, but they can tomorrow if I do that. Or, you know, kids can't go to school, or this mom and dad can't get a job unless there's access across this ravine, and and I can build that today. And I think it, people are very interested, uh, if not starving, for those opportunities at least at one point in their career um and i know i personally have benefited from a dozen years of doing work you know alongside my professional career working in the developing world and even some local communities um i guess it, and that that sort of speaks to you did it unfortunately in your neighborhood you know in, in the neighborhood of of you know the the area that affected you the most um and, and so i mean i but i think that ultimately is something that we have a skill set that we can offer and we can make a real impact. I mean, do you, do you see that as in the in the employees that you work with and people that you just meet in the industry that they're interested in having this opportunity just to serve um, when, when bad things happen, we can help. And we want to do that.
2: Right. You know, as you, as, as I walk through life, I've always asking myself, am I making a difference? Are I doing my purpose in the world? I mean, I, I don't know of an individual that, very rarely asked that doesn't ask that question, and you know this event, you know, I don't, through faith or whatever you want to uh, call it, but it was certainly the most fulfilling in my lifetime. And uh, most of our employees are, that were involved feel the same way, and we have a special bond with each other. And as our careers move on, you know, we're able to, you know, always go back to that. I, I was in uh, a meeting the other day and a. One of our couple of our former employees have moved on to our client. They're now our clients, and you know, you know, there's certainly you can't ever take that relationship that we had, you know, working together through this. But you know, as you talk about, you know, we're always looking for how can I really make a difference, and you know, we were just very fortunate to be fortunate and unfortunate, I guess, because we had a disaster which is terrible, and. There are disasters every day going on. Like you say, there's hurricanes, and they cause major disasters, and, and that type of thing. And, and we're, as a company, still involved with doing some of this, but, um, you know, I think the difference is, you know, even when you're doing the uh, you know, work in other countries and different things with water for people and things like that, I know that's fulfilling, but what was so fulfilling about this is it was just your neighbor. It was somebody you knew and somebody, you know, that you went to church with or somebody that you, you know, did something for. And, and, um, and I, you know, just, it just that part of it, being able to help someone that you kind of knew or somewhat new or, you know, just, just being able to put that all together. I think that made it just so much more fulfilling. Um, and, you know, so it's, Anyway, we certainly had our role, and I think we played, we did well with our response to that role.
0: Yeah, I mean, positively impacted lives, you know, um, in the community and and in the region. And I'm super appreciative that, you know, you shared this. And I've, you know, when we first met a few years ago, um, you know, and you shared a little bit about this, I was just, you know, I, I knew there was something there and I was intrigued. And I'm just so thankful that you were able to share this you know, with others, because I mean, sometimes we just we get the headlines, and we don't understand um, all that goes into it. And particularly as engineers, and architects, and, you know, problem solvers of the world serving society I mean, to understand the depth and, and what goes in to clearing the roads and and starting, you know, renewal, I, I, I think it, it, it's very interesting. And I'm, I'm honored that you shared that with us. And as, as we close, is there anything else you'd like to add to, um, to encourage, encourage engineers and, and architects and, and leaders to, to, um, to get more involved and serve others? Um,
2: Sure. You know, I think the main thing is, is, is don't, um, you know, don't be afraid. You know, if you see something, I mean, something happens or if something around you is, is there, um, you know, don't think that you can't get involved and make a difference. Um, I couldn't imagine if we had never went by and said, Hey, what can we do to help? Um, I mean, just that simple little deal, simple little conversation is what really led all that, in, all this into it. So, you know, um, you know, don't ever be afraid to to go ask those questions in, in situations like this, um, because you know if we hadn't have done that, you know I wouldn't be able to here tell you this story. So, um, I mean, I think that's just the big thing. Is just you know when there's when there's something bad going on or whatever, just just putting yourself out there and say, "Hey, how can I help?" And you you just never know.
0: Great, right. how, how, can, how can folks get in touch with you if they're interested in hearing more about this or, or learning more about um, Neil Schaefer?
2: Sure, um, and I need to mention that um, we actually have a subsidiary company called True North Emergency Management uh, that, that actually respond to disasters every day uh, and do this type of work. Um, our guys that do this are, are terrific. Uh, but as I've told them, I've had my Katrina, and I've, 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 I, <laughs> I don't, I don't really want to do much more of this. So, uh, but anyway, there a guy named Nelson Lucius runs that it, that situation. But you can find all our information on our website, um, wwwneel neel with a hyphen then Schafer schaffer dot But it's you know neel shafercom or you can call us at our here at the corporate office at 601-948-3071. Uh, but uh, again, I'd certainly be willing to, to talk to you and tell you more about how we got into this. And um, anyway, we'll be glad to tell the story some more.
0: Well, thank you. And thank you again for sharing. All right, Thank you. Well, that's a wrap. If you like what you've heard, please subscribe to and rate this podcast on iTunes or whatever platform you listen to the show from. There are links on my website and in the show notes to do so, and please share this podcast with your friends and colleagues. It really helps to get us established, and I truly appreciate that. It also helps get the word out so that together we can collectively grow and positively impact the lives of others, both inside and beyond our organizations. So thank you.
1: Thanks for joining us on today's episode of AEC Leadership Today. If you want to stay relevant and effective and take your growth and prosperity to new levels, it's time to take action. To learn more about how Pete can help take you and your firm to the next level, visit www.actionsprove.com. That's www.actionsprove.com. See you next time on the AEC Leadership Today podcast.